join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, or Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. It's good to be back um, after first a time away, but then a time of illness. And um, I'm much, much better, but moving just a little bit more slowly, breathing a little more shallowly. Uh, I don't recommend COVID, um, but it does seem to have a mind and life of its own, uh, coming sometimes uh, in surprising ways. So I know that many of you know what I'm talking about, and I hope that not all of you learn what I'm talking about, but this is a reality we're living with. So uh, I just offer that in the spirit of solidarity. <laughs> So last week, Amelia introduced a sermon series where we're learning from people of peace and purpose, people who've paved the way for peace and inclusion. And this week's person is someone I had not heard of, and I'm curious if the name is familiar to you. And by way of introduction, first, though, we're going to look at the book of Esther, and the book's namesake, Queen Esther. She became queen through a, a beauty pageant, actually. One of the queens had been put to death for disobeying the king. And I know it's one of those beautiful, meaningful Bible stories, isn't it? <laughs> really just wanna take that right in. And so Esther entered into this beauty pageant at the encouragement of her uncle Mordecai, and she won. So she became queen. One of the lesser known facts about Esther, and one that was completely hidden from the king on purpose, is that she's Jewish. And this was the king of Persia. And this king had um, you know, the second person in command was a man by the name of Haman. And Haman had a real disdain for Jewish people. In fact, um, he, at one point, after several hours of partying with the king, asked the king for a decree to kill the Jews. Now, this king had an interesting way of ruling and made a lot of decisions after several hours of partying. Again, not something you're going to want to hold on to as a value, um, but just this is what it was, right? And so after one of these binges, if you will, uh, the king agreed and said, okay, we'll, we'll make this proclamation that the Jews can be killed and, and we'll roll the dice and we'll set a date. And so they set a date. Now Mordecai, who's on the outside, who's related to Esther, finds out about this. 
And so gets word to Esther like, hey, you gotta do something about this. And she says, well, what can I do? I can only go to the king if the king summons me. You know, that's how the other queen got killed. She went without being summoned. So I'm not doing that. He goes, no, you really, you really need to think about this. And this is where we pick up in the story, and there are some really famous words from the book of Esther that you might not be connecting to this, but it's on the cover of your bulletin. Um, and here, listen to these words. And this is Esther sort of relaying this to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone may that person live. Esther continues, I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. And when the messenger told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, and this is the important piece, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. So do you hear that statement of faith in there? There is going to be someone who will rescue the Jews. Is it going to be you? Because if not, you're going to perish. Who knows, Mordecai says, perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish... I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had offered him. Holy wisdom, holy word. So Esther and Mordecai enlisted the community for a time of prayer and fasting. And if you continue reading the story, which I hope you will, you'll see that courage and wisdom came to Esther. It was already present in her proclamation, if I perish, I perish. And what happened as this story unfolds is basically that she eventually, in time, revealed her Jewish identity to the king, who was very surprised but also at that moment realized that the edict would be killing his queen. And so he reversed it. And Haman actually, the, the expression hoisted on his own batard comes to mind. He was in fact impaled 
on a device that he made for Mordecai. So there's a lot of reversal here and a lot of action here that's surprising. Now, whether it happened or not is almost irrelevant because the wisdom of the book of Esther is that God, part of it anyway, is that God is not mentioned once, not once. And so what that leaves for us is the task of sort of looking at the activity behind the scenes. So at places where God's spirit is present but not named, this happens all the time. And our task as people of faith is to always be looking for the spirit's work. Look for that golden thread. Look for the courage, look for the wisdom, look for the timing. Now that was a super long introduction to our person of the week, wasn't it? (laughs) Did you even remember there's another thing? So our person this week of Peace and Purpose is Baird Rustin. Is that a familiar name? Okay, one person. Two, three, four, all right, three and a half. I'm in good company then. Most people, you're like, I'm not sure. But maybe it will ring a bell as you hear a little bit more. Bayard Rustin was born in 1912, and he died in 1987. He was an American citizen of African descent, and he was a Quaker, which has its roots in Christianity, if you're not familiar with the Quaker tradition. And Bayard Rustin is credited as an unsung hero of the civil rights movement. He was the main advisor and strategist for the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That's a pretty big claim to fame, isn't it? Yeah. He actually is the person who taught Martin Luther King Jr. the principles of nonviolence from the teachings of Gandhi. Um, Bayard Rustin went to India in 1955 to learn these strategies. He went four years before Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his wife went to India. He spoke much about his respect and appreciation for these teachings, but not his teacher, per se. And Bayard was his teacher. Uh, Bayard Rustin was also instrumental in establishing three limited and concrete objectives of the civil rights movement. And this, um, you know, if you ever Google Bayard Rustin and put YouTube on there, you'll see him speak a lot about the success of that time had to do with the fact that the three objectives were very concrete and attainable. It didn't go into areas that we're trying to go into now about economic justice and about health care and about meaningful work and all of those things that can seem like big clouds of topics without something really concrete. And so part of the gift of Baird Rustin was that he was able to identify and would encourage us to identify really concrete outcomes that we're striving for and working toward. And these three things were the right to vote for all people, the right to use public accommodations, and the right for students to attend the school of their choice. That's it. 
and those three things were achieved. They sometimes still feel in jeopardy, though, don't they? And the reason that Baird Rustin was behind the scenes, the reason he was a behind the scenes person is because he was also gay. So now remember, born in 1912, died in 1987. And this was a time when coming out was dangerous and would discredit him and anyone he associated with. It was not wise for him to reveal that piece of his identity when he had so much to offer which is something I can be grateful for, but I also want you to hear that he had to hide a piece of his identity so that he could be of good. I hope that doesn't feel right. Because it's not. But it was true then. And for some, it is true now. At that time, being gay was a worse position than being of African descent. I'm not sure that's true now. One of the characteristics of people of peace and purpose is that they, that they share is that they work for and with people whose lives are in danger. People whose stories are wrongly and unfairly characterized and framed for the purpose of creating further distance. The message conveyed is be afraid, be suspicious, and worse yet, let's get rid of them. During the AIDS pandemic in the 80s, Baird Rustin acted with courage and did come out. And so I wonder now, who are the people that evoke unwarranted fear and suspicion in you? Let's really take a moment to consider that. Who are the people that evoke unwarranted fear and suspicion in you? Notice if you're taking into account people who really don't have basic resources and means, who in very real terms are at the mercy of others, who are experiencing the realities of poverty, of housing, of work and livelihood, the poverty of these things, who are experiencing medical needs, physical safety concerns, and community connection is absent. Who are those people in your life? Another way into this is to turn on the news and to say, who are we being asked to be afraid of? Or who are we encouraged to be afraid of? Who are we told to be afraid of? Who are the people who are demonized? And also experiencing the poverty of 
perhaps being unhoused or not having medical attention. So it's a, it's a tricky question, isn't it? Because there are some people who um, the things that they protest for um, can be scary. But I'd have to say I'm not sure where the targets. So think about it a bunch of different ways. Who are the targets of the people who are protesting messages of hate and fear and, in a word, supremacy? Who are the targets? Bayard Rustin says, to be afraid is to act as if the truth were not true. To be afraid is to act as if the truth were not true. So what is true? Well, when I read through the different books of this book, what I, what I find to be true is that all of us are created in the image and likeness of God and worthy to be loved. Isn't that right in the beginning in Genesis? All of us created in that image and worthy to be loved. And the God who created us is with us. That's Emmanuel, right? God with us. God came to us, came to humanity in the person of Jesus and comes to humanity and other people too. And these ways, these teachings of Jesus, of the one who is with us, of the God who is with us, always leads us to life and wholeness and healing. Not for their own gain, but for the common good. Drawing us from isolation into community. Bridging that distance that comes through fear. Consider the spirit of adoption, where refugees are supported by resident families and communities. That happens a lot, doesn't it? Consider the work of the in-between, where sustainable housing is offered to people and provided for people who are unhoused or experiencing housing insecurity. Consider the work of the reentry initiative, returning citizens transitioning from incarceration to a meaningful life. Refugees, the unhoused, returning citizens following incarceration. Who else would you add to that list? It is true that all of this is the work of God's Spirit. It's also true that the Holy Spirit equips us with gifts to be partners in the work. To be partners in the work of healing or building bridges, which leads us into a second scripture lesson this morning. You got a two-for-one today. This one is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And to quote uh, Baird Rustin, he said, we are one, and if we don't know it, we'll learn it the hard way. And I would venture to say that Paul learned it the hard way. It's important to remember that Paul wasn't always Paul. Paul started out as Saul, right? Saul was a menace and a murderer. Did you hear that? A menace and a murderer. 
before he became an apostle and a mentor. His name was Saul at that time, and, when, and then he was given a new name. Many of you have taken on new names at different points in your life. It doesn't mean that the old name is gone. But we are made into new creations through Christ who moves within us and among us. And this is Paul's story. So whenever we hear something from the Apostle Paul, let's remember that he was a menace and a murderer. Someone that we would often be encouraged to be afraid of, right? Even though we are likely not the target? Our work needs to be on behalf of those who are the target. So in the 12th chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, he lists out these gifts of the Holy Spirit. He sort of names them and says, we're all equipped to do this work. We don't all have the same gift, but we're all equipped. And here's his list. And maybe you might want to listen for the gift that you feel has been given to you. Or if you came with someone else this morning, or if you're sitting near someone you know, you might want to think, oh, I, I think that's their gift. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. sort of like a cell phone, getting it turned on, you activate it, right? That's what baptism is, confirmation, church on Sunday morning. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same spirit who allots to each one individually just as the spirit chooses. Perhaps you're in this situation for such a time as this, Esther. It's not just your beauty. It's your courage and your wisdom that are needed, but it's your beauty that got you there. Now, isn't that something? Hmm. We're gonna enter into a time of prayer. And I want to invite you to look for God's activity behind the scenes of your life. Maybe even the life of this community or other communities that you're a part of. And in the bulletin and what will appear on your screen is the list from the letter to the church in Corinth, reimagined. 
So it's going to be in a little bit more plain speak. I want you to spend some time with that list because it can be instructive in what to look for. Say, I want to see the workings of the Spirit, but what do I look for? Well, look at this list for starters. And maybe add to the list, because maybe your life story has an experience that it's not quite captured. Or change the language a little bit for you poets and writers among us. You love to play with words. Go ahead, have at it. We're going to enter into this time with the support of music. Robert's going to play something for us. You might want to focus on one or two of these things in the list that's printed in the bulletin or that will appear on the screen, one of them that resonates. Or you might want to just sit quietly and say, Spirit, teach me. Reveal to me the gift that you have given me for this time, for this time. Friends, let us pray together.
God's grace and God's glory are true. May God grant you wisdom and courage in this very moment and in all the moments to come.